of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I was getting together with my friend Mariah here in Portland recently, and we were hanging out. There's a few times we've hung out and I just felt like we need to have a conversation for this podcast. And uh, we planned this particular podcast maybe a week or so before we recorded it. And I just could not wait. Um, I felt so lit up and enlivened by the way that Mariah talks about Pluto and about process work, which is a, a modality that she works with in addition to evolutionary astrology. And I think that you know, as you listen to this episode, you'll hear that fire and this passion. And significantly, I feel like this conversation changed my life. I feel like a good conversation will change your life. And maybe in part, you know, we're in eclipse season right now. We're in between eclipses. We had the last eclipse on May 26, 2021, and we're coming up to the next one on June 10th, a new moon in Gemini. And the synchronicities, you know, are wild. In this conversation, Mariah at one point led me unexpectedly into something, uh, you know, to demonstrate some of the principles that we were talking about in the abstract around what's called high and low dreams. So this is a really cool concept. I'm excited for you to hear more about in the episode, but it's kind of about your, your biggest desires and your fears, right? And I'll let you, you know, hear it, but essentially I'm leaving this conversation with the conclusion that I am a party. <laughs> I am a party. I am a fucking party. And, um, it's funny, like that idea is insanely liberating, like to feel into what if I embodied that, what if I embodied that energy in my daily life and, Essentially, even the day after having this conversation, I got on my first Tierra Alma call, which is Carla's, uh, Carla Palomino, who's been on this podcast before her membership group. And we did a ceremony that also was about essence. Uh, and this conversation that I had with Mariah touched on essence. And this has been a boon for me um, of eclipse season. And funnily enough, I was making myself some tea before getting on here to record. And because, you know, I had, you know, gotten gotten ready, like I think maybe my mic was out, was making tea. So then my brain, my mind, like all these ideas of what I want to say start flooding in my mind. And I have that silly thought of like, I'm a fucking party and I'm like shaking up this um oat milk for my, you know, I'm a millennial, if you can't tell, shaking up this oat milk to put in my tea and the cap wasn't on all the way. So as I'm literally having the thought, I am a fucking party, this oat milk just explodes all over the kitchen, which if that's not like a physical embodiment of Venus just entering cancer, I don't know what is. Um, I cleaned it up, but I had to laugh because um, I love when thoughts line up with a image or a spontaneous happening and you just feel that click. And, you know, something else that I was thinking as all these thoughts were flooding in was that 
being, you know, having a podcast and sharing here continually kind of confronts me with the reflection of why am I someone who likes to share details about my personal life and journey publicly with the internet? And, um, why do I then sometimes have shame about it? Because there is shame about it to be sure, uh, not even just internally, but in terms of how the collective views such a thing and what the collective standards are for what is meant to be private, what is okay to be public, what's okay to reveal. And then at the personal level, the kind of layers. So you can reveal too much. You can go outside of your range and say too much in public and have a contraction afterward. And I've really worked with my nervous system, to be honest, to reveal parts of my experience as part of my art and part of my craft really am part of my, you know, message and whatnot at a rate that is in alignment with my body and my nervous system so that I don't overexpose myself and feel really bad afterward. Right. But I was thinking about this and thinking about some of the themes of this conversation that I had with Mariah and talking about how much I love a good conversation and what the image of the party means to me. And I was having these memories flood back to me of times in life where I'm a little bit more spontaneous, uh, when I'm first meeting people and I'm just an open book and I'm just saying everything and I don't have filter and sometimes how fun and enlivening those connections have been and how sometimes I like to be that person who goes first who's the one to just like start the conversation, say the things that no one else is talking about yet. And then, you know, have this happy reveal occur where other people are like, whoa, I've thought about that too, but you know, I've never said it or no one ever talks about that. And so that's, that's the thought. It's not going anywhere besides that. Uh, I just felt like sharing that, um, Something about re-listening to this episode with Mariah, making tea, feeling that oat milk explode all over the kitchen and just uh, having these different ceremonies and being in eclipse season. I'm really coming through with a deeper message about wanting to be more spontaneous in my expression uh, because I do know how to be formal and kind of more collected and I'm desiring to let more of that deeper inner spontaneity hidden behind the professional, you know, like to come out. Um, and what else? So I have an announcement. Monarch Astrology just turned seven on June 1st. Uh, so six years of content behind us. We're at the beginning of our seventh year. In April of 2019, I started Magic of the Spheres podcast because after writing weekly, you know, forecasts, astrology content, I felt like there were so many more things I wanted to talk about and conversations that I wanted to engage. So I started this podcast and in 2020, I added YouTube. And this is like a lot of free content every week. Um whether it's, you know, a combination of things or reliably the astrology forecasts every week. And so last year, for the first time, I did a Kickstarter to fund a year ahead of content. And you all really came through for me. We had um, 115 backers. We raised 20K last year, which helped me uh, combined with other income I made. It was the first year I felt like I really made a salary. 
so deeply grateful. And this year I'm doing it again. And it's kind of like putting out the tip jar once a year to say, hey, if you love this podcast, if you love the YouTube channel, if you love the forecasts, um, personally contribute to the pot. Uh, it takes a village, as they say, you know, and I, I often think of village imagery for the way that I participate with the Internet, because I think that, you know, there's this idealistic uh, notion inside of me that if we were in a village context, there might be a fire at the center of the city where people would go to share stories. And I think that the Internet can be that place for the globe that if we come to the internet with soul, if we bear our souls and hearts on the internet, that, you know, we change the world with that. And like I was saying about life-changing conversations, um, I think that certain ideas are really lit and really magical. And I've just had such a love of reading and writing basically my whole life and bringing it onto the internet. You know, this is something that I love to do. And I spend hours every week cultivating and creating content that's free. So if you enjoy it and you feel like you've benefited from it and I get tons of messages that you do, <laughs> so I know that you do, uh, please consider, um, giving back through this Kickstarter. I'll be announcing when it's open again or not open again, when it opens, <laughs> when I release it. Um, I'm just working on the page on the back end of it right now and formalizing the offerings. Um, so if you stay tuned here on the podcast or on my Instagram at Sabrina Monarch or my mailing list, you will find out about how to get involved in this Kickstarter um, and claim a number of really epic offerings uh, that backers have access to. So I will get into this conversation now with Mariah about Pluto, process work, high and low dreams and desire. And now we have Esme. <laughs> Esme, no. Like, get her off the desk. Sorry, babe. Uh, let's get Mariah. Mariah Karina is a writer, counselor, and consciousness researcher based in Portland, Oregon. Her passion is to study consciousness itself, to develop tools and models that support us to navigate everyday life, to make the reality we share more reflective of who and what we truly are, to find the pulsing living heart of this life journey, and to engage with it fully and completely. Enjoy now this super lit, amazing conversation I had with Mariah Karina. Welcome everyone. I'm here with Mariah Karina. And this is exciting because I feel like the times that I've seen you since I moved to Portland, there will be moments where I'm like, I wish that we were recording this. This conversation is really good. And I've been really excited to sit down with you and record about process work and your vision of Pluto. Um, so would you tell us, tell the listeners uh, what's alive for you currently and how you got on this path? Yeah. Hey, what's up? Um, I'm so excited to be here with you too. You're such a bright light and a for real inspiration to me. So thanks mm -hmm. for having me on. Um, I came to this path. I have probably had some of the most wild synchronicities of my life around astrology I think I first found it, I was in a bookstore when I was 
11 years old. I had just started sixth grade and was desperately lonely and shy and confused and didn't fit into my very sort of urban mainstream middle school and went to this bookstore to find some friends in the pages. And this book fell down off the shelf. And it was my first astrology book that came to me. And there's just been tremendous magic starting from when I was 11 till right now around astrology. What was the book? It was by someone named Bernard. I don't even remember what the last (laughs) name was, but I immediately read the entire thing. It basically just went through the archetypes and talked about sun, moon and rising. And then I foiled that against my friends. I got all their information and researched all of their charts and felt like actually seeing it in practice was a excellent way to learn and really be in tune with the archetypes as they express themselves through human beings and just starting to get a feel for, oh, this is what Aquarius feels like. Right. And so then being able to say, oh, even if this person doesn't have sun, moon or rising in Aquarius, they might have a Mercury in Aquarius because something about the way they're communicating has that feeling to it. Yeah. So you were a natural You just picked it up. (laughs) Maybe some past life. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think some people find astrology and they already have a past life affinity with it and they just pick it up like that. Totally. And again, I feel like astrology comes back in really strong ways in my life. And every time it does, it does so with this fireworks show of synchronicity. Like I actually dated someone and we went to go stay with his father and his father is one of the originators of evolutionary astrology, like one of Jeffrey Wolf Green's closest friends and got to live and oh, study I with love him. That. Yes. <laughs> I always feel like blessed on the path when I meet someone who's like really connected to the lineage in that way. Totally. Like, and I'd already been into evolutionary astrology and then meeting him. I had this YouTube channel that I followed for years by this man named Kelly Lee Phipps. And then moved to Colorado on a whim and was sitting in a coffee shop. And this guy came up to me and was like, let me read your chart. You're interesting. And it was Kelly Lee fucking Phipps. Oh, my God. And he started this whole like round table, like meeting me. He's like, you're the Aries. He'd had this vision of having um, 12 students that represented each of the 12 archetypes and creating like an Ark of the Covenant round table with each of the archetypes represented by a different being sitting at the table. And he met me and my sons in Aries. And he's like, you're my Aries. Now is the time. It's supposed to happen. And me and him, we like launched this whole thing together. So, yeah, we're both Aries and there's there's. Yes. going on like Aries women love each other like that's just been my experience Fuck like, yes <laughs> we, and just Aries people in general I feel like um we get like mutually very stoked about each other's energy and enthusiasm and go-gettedness and just like yeah you did that hell yeah you're not afraid of life let's do it like we're just like pumped totally like, Martian friendships mm. yeah and that cardinal energy and that sovereignty like I feel like all the Aries friends I know there's some mutual support of each other's path because it's a sovereign path like there's something in that Aries evolutionary intention that's about finding yourself and expressing yourself right and yeah all my Aries friends we support that in each other almost in a unspoken way, way. yeah and so then you got into process work. I did. And I would love to hear more about what that is and how it 
how it's different than other forms of therapy or like what what it's constituted by? Yeah. Process work also came into my life very magically. Um, I just want to tell this story. It'll yeah. be short, I promise. But um, I'd been doing energy work and massage therapy and really felt like I was ready for the next thing. I think this served me in my own, you know, journeys to become embodied and connect with all the woo there is to woo. But I was really ready for something that I could sink my teeth into that would be at the level of my life's work. And it was my birthday and I put out a prayer. And then I went, I was working with Reality Sandwich at the time or with Evolver, which was like a social organization connected to Reality Sandwich, which was like a media platform that was really big in 2012. (laughs) just when this happened. And, um, I went to this event and it was about dreams and there was this woman there and she just facilitated this kind of ritual. But even before the ritual, she was just absolutely with all of the dynamics in the room. And it was almost like her facility between being able to perceive and recognize what was happening and her ability to name it. And then her ability to make some sort of intervention or suggestion or action that moved it forward with that awareness in mind blew me away. And then she led this whole fucking ritual about dreams and about how the things that we dream about at night are connected to our waking life and how we can see our waking life also as a dream and be able to play with the dreamlike nature of reality and find meaning in it. And I was just like jaw on the floor, mesmerized, seduced, like whatever that woman has, I want it. And she was a process worker. She was a fucking process worker. And so I ended up, you know, um, finding out, I think there's like 33 schools internationally, but there's only one in the United States in Portland, Oregon. So I moved here and, um, and I studied, I studied since then. See, I love that fire, that <laughs> sureness, like, <laughs> and like following the flame, following the seduction, following the Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I've always been a person who's interested in a lot of different things. And the other thing that gave me that sureness is someone showed me this. Um, it's like the roots and branches of process work. And it shows all these things where it draws its inspiration from, like Taoism and alchemy and quantum physics and shamanism and Jungian psychology. And then all these branches of where it works with addictions, relationships, body symptoms, dreams, spiritual awakenings, um, sex, intimacy, folks in comas, social issues. And I never found something that felt like it encompassed so much of what I was interested in. And so process work itself is... I would say more like a collection of models and tools that you can apply to different areas of life and of reality. That's why the tree, that's why there's so many branches, because you can do it to someone's dream. You can apply those same principles to working with an interpersonal conflict. You can do working on um, like a race issue to someone's you know, tendency to clench their teeth at night, because I think actually behind those different tools and frameworks and models for understanding reality, there's a fundamental orientation that is 
about really observing reality as it is and then encouraging what is actually happening to show itself. Mm. And I think that's what makes it really different than other forms of psychology is that it really understands, okay, there's what the person is consciously aware of and identified with. And then there's everything that exists outside. There's all of our trying to like, you know, muscle forward and live a life thinking we know who we are and what life is. And then there's this mystery that comes flooding in. There's what we would rather leave out that pushes its way through the cracks. And process work is actually about turning towards those with an open, curious mind and meeting them on their own terms and allowing them to show you what they are. And a lot of times what they look like at first glance, the thing that we would reject and try and block out, like that's not part of me or that's not part of the life that I want or that's not, you know, part of my being able to move forward and what I'm trying to fucking do right now. A lot of what it seems like at first glance ends up being very different than if you turn around and let it tell you its own story. That's amazing. I... I feel the seduction coming through. And I also feel the connection to Pluto too, just in that, in terms of like that rippling kind of creative force that's coming through and how much we lean into it or resist it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any examples? Like I really liked the last time we spoke about this, what you said about fame, like being with someone whose desire is fame, like what would process be around that? Yes. Oh my God. Okay. I could go in a million different directions, but I think ultimately process work, like I said, comes from Taoism and alchemy, right? And so part of that being with it and allowing you to show, allowing it to show itself to you is knowing how to um, use your own awareness to alchemize the signal that you're getting and helping it to flower. So, um, oh my God, where do I even start with this? Okay. First of all, Pluto, right? Like Pluto, the gift of evolutionary astrology, what truly makes it different is its understanding of Pluto. And you know this better than anyone, right? Is that it's not only that we have our karma and our dharma, our North and South node. It's that this entire incarnation was birthed because of unlived desire that whatever it is that died in a previous life, whatever that soul stuff is that floated up into the bardo had enough charge, had enough fucking energy in it to want to be born again. Like, I just think about how intense birth is. Like, if you think of just like all of the energy coming into a moment, first that leads to orgasm, right? And there has to be some, at least male orgasm that leads to, you know, at some point along the road that leads to conception. But then if you think of that moment of like the, the screaming, the yelling, the franticness, like the culmination of that process, all coming Squeezing to this one the bo- moment, portal, just like yeah. boom, like that is fucking Pluto. That is the force of desire. That is something in the cosmic reality, in this wild mystery of all that is that wanted like light that wanted to be in encapsulated in a body enough that it squeezed through that yoni portal into being or however it is that the birth happened and that pluto in our lives is like a nuclear reactor of energy it's so extremely and exquisitely powerful and the desire that it points to 
organizes our entire life and desire itself. You know, I'm working on this book right now. It's called the cosmology of desire. And it's about understanding that desire itself is what motors us, what motors our psychology, our soul, our body through space and time. Is this like craving and aversion? Is this being drawn towards and against? Is in process work what they call the high and low dream, which I can get into later, but it's all desire. And then it's all traced back to the soul desire. And then it's all traced back to this Pluto signature that we share with this entire generation that's working on the entire field of consciousness of that one zodiac sign of that one aspect right. of desire and made more unique in each natal chart through house placement and what it's aspecting and Absolutely. yeah that's totally so we're part of this like big cosmic symphony at the level of our desire but that the pluto stuff itself i think is so powerful in our life it's both where we're going to feel our greatest empowerment and our greatest joy but then also our deepest disempowerment our like agony our hell realm our screaming inner child toddler tantrum and so it, it straddles both ends of the spectrum of energy and that just makes it really intense and it's something i think maybe we've talked about or I talk about with my friends all the time like how come sometimes the things that we care most about in life are so easy to put on the back burner and I think it's because Pluto actually has so much energy that it's easy to fall asleep to yeah and or it's then, a lot to be responsible for it's a lot of voltage and energy and power to run through one's body and system and it's like I think of it even with just how people relate with sexuality, right? Totally. Like you can totally disconnect from your sexual energy and you can go so far into it that it becomes addictive or compulsive. Mm. Um, you can cultivate your sexual energy and like feel power coursing through your body and feel like just like you have agency with the way that you engage your sexuality you know and you can yeah. like really investigate your personal power and your sexuality and you can also put that stuff on the back burner you can sublimate that energy totally and I think that um yeah like people's fears and desires being connected right like mm -hmm. I think about um like the process for example for me of like sharing my voice on the internet is right. like a huge desire of mine. Like it has been my whole life of, you know, sharing my voice. But mm -hmm. also when I first started doing it in the way that I do it now, I would feel so much energy and kind of like freak out after I would post like a status yeah. on Facebook that I would, I would have to alchemize all of that energy and expand my nervous system to hold it. Yes. And I literally felt I felt like I was going to be killed or something like that's what it felt like in my body just for sharing my voice. And I think that that instinctual fear, you know, I could have been killed for my voice in a prior life and still carrying that yeah. resonance and to Absolutely. alchemize that in this life, you know, was such a intense kind of thing to move through. So I do think there's like a relationship with our deepest desire or with our power, like whatever that is, whatever form that is mm. in our lives a kind of three-headed dog or something mm -hmm. guarding it with all of our fears and anxieties and resistances. And, you know, even for me too, most days where something really amazing happens, a few hours before it, I feel terrible for no reason, mm. like a mysterious, just like drop. 
Mm. And I recognize it now as a signal that something is about to happen. It's like that nuclear oh, so interesting. moment. Yeah. I have so much to say about this. Okay. First of all, yes. Pluto is so extremely powerful that I think what process work has to offer is these tools of translation or almost like the way that God sent Mercury to mm. share their message with the humans because a human standing, standing trembling, quiv, quavering before the light of God would be too much for it to hold in its body. And so they had to send a messenger to communicate their message. And I think the same thing, like our Pluto's are so powerful, so full of light, so full of energy, both energy that we would interpret as good, as bad, as terror, as ecstasy, that it requires some tools of translation. It requires a, a messenger. And I think that's what process work has to offer. But like you were saying, um, I think it's easy for people to think of desire and associate it with some sort of like pleasurable mm, feeling, but desire actually works in this system with that other side that you were bringing in all of our greatest fears, all of our, um, like, I actually think there's like this huge interplay between desire and trauma. And I think what we find these days, like the phenomenon inside of us that is trauma. Sorry, I have too many ideas happening at the same time. Okay, I'm going to take a breath. I'm following you. Right. I'm riveted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Gabor Mate, uh, he was saying like, we refer to outside events as traumatic, right? Like, oh, your parents went through a divorce. Someone you know died. Maybe you had an abuse or a molestation happen. Those are those things that happen on the outside, those are traumatic, but the trauma itself is actually what happens on the inside. It's this phenomena that occurs within where there's a way in which the person becomes disconnected from um, their soul. And it creates this distress pattern, a very intense attachment and very intense detachment and certain patterns that are set up in terms of grooves in the person's ability to respond in the moment. So the trauma is this phenomenon that exists inside of a person. And you can tell this, right? Because like two people can go through the same thing on the outside and have a completely different response on the inside, right? Like I had two friends who had an abortion, for example, and one of them, it was like, no big deal. You know, she was able to move on and the other one's been haunted by it for the rest of her life. Like nothing on the outside is inherently traumatic, but it's has the potential to trigger this sort of mysterious matrix of trauma in terms of the person's ability to connect with their own soul and to act in the world inside. And so I feel like what we in the modern day find and call trauma, ancient people found the same phenomenon inside and they called it karma. And to me, this is why anything in terms of the past life inheritance that is shown in the South Node is also going to be repeated in the early childhood conditioning of the person. Because right. it's like, yeah. Reconstellating the soul repository of memory and kicking back up all of those storylines so that they can be relived yeah, and like, like have a relevant context in this <laughs> lifetime. So, you know, all your ancient baggage 
is like renewed yeah. and you can like have a current life context for it. It's like just in case. <laughs> just to remind you. Right. Exactly. But this thing, right, this like karma or this trauma, as we would call it in the modern day, is like birthed in the same moment as the desire. Right. The same way the North and South Node are connected, the trauma gives birth to the desire. The desire organizes the trauma. Like if you think of and this is in process work, what they call the high and low dream. Yeah. Yes. So like if you think of like all of the most awful, darkest, worstest times you ever had when you were a kid and then you think of all of your fantasies for love for sex, all of the like, um, peak experiences you've had, maybe kind of the stuff that you've gotten addicted to that you've really wanted to make happen over and over again. You can see how in a certain way, all of this desire that's consciously or unconsciously experienced in the life is almost like your little one's imagination of what would be the healing for that trauma that they went through. Like, for example, like, um, for me, when I was younger, I had this feeling of being like very, very alone. Right. And I had like all of these, um, different sort of worlds that I was a part of, and I had to keep them very compartmentalized and instead just kind of, um, adapted to other people on the outside. And so I had this feeling like I was this treasure chest with all of this music and color and gold inside of me but that no one was interested and that no one had enough time to really hear all the story and really unpack all the treasure. Right. And so, um, that's a feeling I had when I was little and I sort of looked around at where it was culturally appropriate to desire things. And of course, one of the main places is that is in terms of a romantic possibility. Right. And I think even when I was 10 years old, I wrote this whole novel that was about um, me meeting this magic person whose name was Brian. And he like, <laughs> saw me. <laughs> Brian with an I and a Y, B R I Y A N. He like saw me for who I really was. And there was just like all these moments where he'd like come into my room and I would like show him these different sentimental objects in my room and he would be like, mesmerized by them and he would hook his hand around my ear with his fingers grazing the back of my neck and his thumb rubbing across my cheeks and say baby you're amazing <laughs> <laughs> and things like that right but uh, <laughs> true story but on a deeper level right I also wanted to write I wanted to be a writer I wanted to perform and sing I got really into uppers into psychedelics into all these things that have like a similar energy right of like sharing and expressing and merging and being able to unpack all of these different things and to shine I have Pluto and Scorpio on the fifth house so Oh, yes. Oh, I love Pluto on the fifth house. That is a very Pluto on the fifth house thing. And also, I love it when people with Pluto on the fifth house lean so deep into that performer or that mm. desire for attention. Like we were just talking about Leo today in my astrology intensive, the evolutionary ah. astrology intensive. And 
one of the points I bring up with Leo is like how much we shame that archetype. And it's like an internal part. It's like the kid bringing home a piece of art and it either gets proudly put on the fridge or crumpled up into a ball. And it's just like, this is shit. You're not an artist, you know, like that. And there's an internalized part of that where, you know, cultures, yeah, have these different values around people taking up space or people shining and, um, there's like this shame that can be projected onto people of like, you're too loud, you're too much, you're too bright. Uh, Cause it, mm. it triggers or it kind of rubs up against other people's stuff around their inner child. And yeah. I think there's such a deep magic in just going full on. And I have Chiron and Leo in the fifth. So I think that's oh, where it comes from. Oh. We have some heavy, some hard hitters. Totally. <laughs> in the fifth house. But I feel like that sense of, um, Going so deep into creativity, it turns into a generosity. It turns into a power that's shared with others. It can inspire others. It's a gift that we mm-hmm. share. Um, and I feel like, yeah, like Pluto on the fifth, um, if people have that and they don't invest in their creativity, I think it it turns into so much angst. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I think creativity, there's a part of me that, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I think there is a part of it that's inherently uh, there's pain points there because when we sit down to create a masterpiece, you know, we have this vision of something and we sit down and feel inept. Like yeah. I don't have the skill yet to create this or we feel our limitation yes. or we feel the limitation between the erotic force within us and our capacity to actually translate that through our medium. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a sense of, um, deep angst in that and either we kind of put our hands up and walk away and don't invest or we go through that portal through that angst and into this deeper alchemy of translating that force that's wanting to come through creatively so i think that we act like leo and creativity is all fun and games but i think there can be some like deep pain points in there but that's my chiron speaking anyway i mean my pluto's there so i'm (laughs) with you i think the journey with our creativity is also our journey with our deepest essence with god with the world i mean it's like um it's fucking everything it's absolutely everything and also i um I was born into a very Aquarian or Uranian home in that I was born to two lesbians who were radical political activists who were trying to dismantle the United States government. And all the messages that I received were about how my life should be of service to the revolution and to social change and about how. That's such a Pluto in the fifth house child. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It was Your also point. It was also in the eighties. So there was AIDS happening everywhere. And so it was also really the Pluto and Scorpio in the fifth house, being born to lesbian mothers and this sort of sexual taboo, having to navigate all these power dynamics as a child. You know, even um uh that had to do with sex explicitly. Um And I think that so much of activist culture has had to go through this re-centralizing of Leo and of Mm -hmm. the heart space and of understanding so much of that 
original activist culture that became so toxic sort of mimics some of the worst things about capitalism, that who's ever the busiest is the best, that um, you are measured based on your production and how much you work and how much you get done. And um, I mean, I, I could go off on this for a while, but I think just in general, I think folks have really tried to, there's been a collective effort to like decondition some of those harsh capitalistic values out of activist culture and return again to this heart space that Leo shows to this love and to the feeling that if you really listen to your heart and you really feel are in touch with what that unique thing that you have to offer, that unique thing that you have to give, that there is that generosity of spirit and that there is also, um, like less burnout, I think, because you're doing something that actually feeds you. Right. And you become like the sun. It's just this like ongoing internal like resource that generates its own heat. Yeah. Um, Do you have other examples you can share of like high dream, low dream situations that you've encountered or? Yes. Um, Just like in your practice too, or just general. Yeah. So I think um, it's a really cool concept and I, it's, yeah. yes. And I think the other things just that I would say that are important is that, um, both the high dream and the low dream are kind of like semi-hypnotic states. So hmm. what happens is we tend to see like a few signals that the low dream is happening. Let me back up. So they originally came up with high dream and low dream around codependency stuff. Because the question is, like, if someone's in an abusive relationship, for example, or a relationship with an addict, like, how come the person stays? And there's that classic abuse cycle, right? Where, like, there's a big blowout and then the person comes back and they bring flowers and they bring chocolate and they say the apology and then you get together and there's a little honeymoon period and then a tense period and then another blowout and then more flowers and chocolates and the apology. So the question is, like, why is the person okay with this, right? Like that's, I think the basic question of codependency, right? Is it's like, why are you letting someone treat you like shit? And how are you participating in it? If you feel like they're treating you like shit. (laughs) But, um, I think the idea is like when you're in a low dream state, it's a little bit hypnotic in that your mind starts to overemphasize all the signs and signals that your low dream is happening and underemphasize anything that indicates otherwise versus when you're in a high dream, you know, that's when you're like, everything is fucked up. Everything is horrible. Um, I think you can see this a lot in relationships, like when a relationship takes a turn and it starts going bad, it's like, you're always on the brink of tears or always on the edge of a fight. And everything is kind of confirming your story that you're in your low dream versus when you're in your high dream, it's like you're overemphasizing all these signals, like the high dream is happening and underemphasizing other things, you know? So you're oh. like, look, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And yeah, they sort get of really like, high. Yeah. And like a willful participation in like, this is it, you know, it's all yeah. unfolding as I want so it to be. So that's a hypnotic state. That's a really yeah. interesting way to put it. 
And people say like, love is the drug, right? And we all know there are those three months when you first meet someone where you're in the honeymoon period, you're basically like in that high dream for that period of time before it starts to, the cracks start to show and other things come up. But probably before a breakup, there's also a period where you're in that low dream state and just everything, everything, everything is awful. But you can also have high dreams about jobs, about um, moving to a new place about how your birthday is going to go. There's like little high and low dreams tucked into everything. I know you said an example, I'll get to it, but this feels important because something that's really important in, in my work with people is trying to differentiate when are you reacting to reality as it is? And when are you reacting to the overlay that you've put onto reality? Like when are you reacting to more of what you're perceiving as your higher low dream occurring or to your expectations that you were more or less conscious of as opposed to being able to meet things with an open mind. But anyway, okay, more high dreams. Let me think. So um, uh, I think whatever high dream you have in one area is going to repeat across different areas of life. So I spent a lot of time focusing on relationships. So some common high dreams in relationships would be, um, to have like a safe, loving, um, home where you can raise a family or to, um, be completely known or to have, like a partner in crime and adventure where you have kind of like a kooky offbeat sort of life or, um, to like be completely devoted and of service to someone Mm -hmm. or, you know, stuff like that. And so (laughs) then I think the low dreams are a little bit kind of the inverse I feel like I'm not doing the best job giving you examples. I'm like following, like those are all like very vivid fantasies. So what's the inverse of them? Right. So the inverse of it, like, let's say your idea is to have like a really stable home. Then the low dream would be like anytime that things feel unstable. Right. And I know people um, who are like this, they were both, one was a child of divorce and one, their mother left them when they were really young. And, um, they were both looking for like a really solid partnership and they were able to create that with each other. But then, uh, one of the people in the partnership started drinking and the other person freaked out, like, and freaked out more, I think, than they would have, if they hadn't had this high dream, because for them during the divorce, one of their parents started drinking and it was part of what had created this feeling of being completely abandoned and uncared for and kind of thrown to the wolves as a vulnerable child when they were younger. And um, so seeing their partner drinking just brought them right back there and feeling like this isn't stable. This is a shit show. This is no place to raise a child and this is no place for me to be. It's not safe. It's not okay for me here. So those like activating triggers that occur that are connected to the low dream create the hypnotic state that it's interesting because Stanislav Grof has the perinatal matrices uh, theory, but there's um, 
four different matrices that connect to the birth process. Mm -hmm. And so the first matrix is Neptune and it's related to the womb. Mm. And it can be like a paradise womb situation where you feel loved and like you're healthy and whatever. It can also be kind of a little bit hellish or poisonous or something if the mother's drinking alcohol or there's a sense of a lot of tumultuousness and it's not like a a safe womb or something like that. But it's it's going to be Neptune in some sense. And then... The next phase is Saturn, where the um, cervix begins to contract, but, or no, like contractions start, but the cervix hasn't dilated. So suddenly this place that was like, let's say it was a good womb, it was like a peaceful, Mm. paradisical womb space, then suddenly it becomes this place that was a home to this like infant, uh, the water drains, and suddenly it the walls are closing in on you mm. right and then um, pluto is the third matrix where there's the movement through the birth canal uh-huh. and it's painful for both the mother and baby and it's kind of like a life or death struggle uh-huh. and you know all the while this infant has no mental construct of what's happening it's a pure like organismic trauma to go through this experience. And then the fourth matrix is Uranus and you're just like suddenly in a new world, you're birthed. You're like, but I think that transition from Neptune to Saturn where you're in your high dream per se, or -hmm. like you're in the Neptune fantasy or dream and you start to feel the walls closing in on you when Mm. those little things start to happen. I, um, I've tracked that, you know, from that, perspective in terms of you know what it's like to be and now with the high dream thing just thinking of it through that lens of you're in a paradise situation you're in a peak Mm. experience and then those little things start to happen that cue in the compression and the feeling that you're like about to enter a hell realm totally yes exactly and sometimes I think of the power or the agency that we have to not you know, what are our choices here? Do we slip into the hell realm Mm. when those things start to happen? Because sometimes there's a force there. Like I remember um, being in a relationship and the breakup, when I look back, I can see the breakup coming farther than I recognized it. But I think I was in that, you know, I didn't see it. But when I did realize there was like one night, it was literally a full moon and I was on a retreat for school and I just couldn't stop crying because I was like, our mm. relationship's ending. Like I saw it flash before my eyes. I was like, it's definitely over. Like yeah. I, it was just unknown in my body and it did end. Mm. And when things like that happen, sometimes I wonder, could I have changed it? Could I have done something different? Mm. Um, and so for me, you know, if I have something on the horizon that I'm scared of or kind of projecting like disaster thinking onto, I'll slow down and like change my consciousness about it. And I can often change my experience. Like Mm. I'm not always just hurling down a road that I can't control, you know, but sometimes things do happen where there is a momentum and you do get pulled under like a strange Mm -hmm. mood that you can't shake off. And it's an alchemical journey, you know, versus when a trigger comes up and you have the choice or the detachment to not go into the hell realm because of the trigger, but to see it and process it. What do you mm-hmm. think about that? Yeah, I agree. I think I've learned so much in my journeys to the underworld. You know, I, there's a lot to be said for having awareness beforehand, but awareness is also learned in the meat grinder of life. And I think being more Taoistically oriented 
I really believe that we go through what we go through, you know, at one point, my parents, they actually apologized to me for certain things that had happened when I was younger, which I appreciated. And it was healing for our relationship. But at the same time, I feel like we all kind of get what we get and that it's the unique gift of going through those hell realms that sharpens our awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, like, right. yeah, I often, yeah. With Pluto too, think of it as our like inheritance in all senses of the word. Mm-hmm. So it's like positive um, influences, privilege, even, or whatever that we inherit as well as our deepest challenges or adversities in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the way that I work with that too, personally, and also teach is like to let that be a very personal question. Cause I yeah. think there's a little bit, it's not appropriate to analyze other people's like, Oh, you, you know, if they're not consenting to that, they don't want that. They're not there for a reading. Right. Mm -hmm. Or just to like theorize about people's circumstances and how it's connected to their karma, because we don't know like why someone's on the karmic path that they are or what experiences they're collecting. But as a personal question, looking at our life experiences, what has come easy, what has been difficult, what traumas we've had, what all the experiences we've had Mm -hmm. and why we would have chosen that. And then there's such a power in that question or in that analysis, Mm -hmm. if it's not punitive yeah, to like really work with the raw materials that we were given in life. Exactly. And I do think it's like each phase of it is an opportunity for facing that mystery And for using your awareness to get deeper into what's happening, which I think is very different than trying to prevent bad things or trying to prevent whatever. I have to say the reason that I came in with that idea is because I do a lot of thought work and like realizing when I'm projecting exactly um, a kind of framework onto reality that's negative Mm -hmm. and that is a self-perpetuating or a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so for me, a lot of the work that I do when I'm feeling all of that resistance or having negative thought forms is to see like well, I'm a magician too. Like, why don't I change my ideas or my perspective about the situation? Right. I've talked about it on this podcast. I did it a lot with like beauty magic Mm. because I had a time period of feeling really angsty about my appearance and like literally feeling ugly and holding those thought forms. um, I, I don't think anyone said I was ugly or anything like that, but I just wasn't receiving the kind of reflection that I would have wanted or imagined as like a beautiful person or something like that, Yeah, you know? And when I worked with all of those thought forms that were like so mean to myself and like so particularly critical of certain aspects of my appearance and started to rewrite them and like Mm. find a different way to tell my narrative as it related to beauty or like enchantment, I would actually be received differently in my environment. So I play a lot with thought magic and changing my perspective and noticing how reality changes. So for me, it's almost like a responsibility that I feel Mm. in my, you know, walking my path in life is like, am I being hygienic with my thoughts? Because if I am thinking super pessimistically or having these mean thoughts or Mm. thinking that things are going to go wrong in a way that's not simply perceptive of a thing that's really happening, but is a projection onto what's happening, totally. then I want to change that 
instead of going through that shitty experience. Yes, you know? absolutely. And that's so fucking cool. And even you doing that, I think, is working with the desire itself, like just turning towards it and being like, hey, I want to be beautiful. What experience do I really want? And right. even that's like a little bit of process work. It's like, well, I want people to be enchanted by me. I want people to be mesmerized by me. And then I think and if we were just going to go deeper with that, it would be like, oh, what's that like when people are mesmerized by you? Do you want me to answer? I do. <laughs> such a vulnerable question. You don't have to. You don't want to. Let me feel into it. Mm-hmm. I think it really feels like um, life is a party. Like I have an ongoing inner like dream motif of being mm. in these like different party scenes. And I think that there's a seduction mm-hmm. that I feel really connected to, like in human design, I have a five line. So I have that, you know, the oh. seduction codes or whatever, but I also really enjoy being seduced. I love having scintillating conversations. Mm-hmm. And so if someone's mesmerized by me, and I'm mesmerized by them. Like that's one of my personal kind of visions of heaven. Wow. And so to be a mesmerizing person feels like being granted into like, I just feel this like imagery of this like really beautiful enchanted party scene that feels kind of vaporous and like pink and purple kind of like smoke and like mm. lights and just a sense that like life gets to be interesting and dazzling and like yeah. there's just a a pleasure to it and mm. yeah a sense of feeling uh seen and because it's not you know being mesmerizing isn't one's entire persona there mm-hmm. it's a sense of like being seen in specialness or something like that right and I feel um trying to feel if there's anything else there Mm. that may be it it for a start that's so powerful I love when you're describing this like pink and purple scintillating party scene where everyone is seducing each other yeah like there's just certain you know for me like whenever I encounter a social environment that I Mm. the night ends and I feel like something just really happened like life just really happened like Mm. I feel so alive from that and there's something collaborative about that and yes you know and it's a sense of um making magic with other people and creating sparks with other people Mm. and yeah it's like it's kind of it's a game totally I I don't need to process for you right now, but if I was going to, it would be like about what that feels like in your body to be the party, to be these, to be life happening. Wait, that's inspiring though. Do you want to do it? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Cool. Go for it. Okay. What do I do? So what does it feel like? Like if you were going to be the party, how do you feel it in your body? It feels really um, open and like, I just feel Mm. a connection through like all my channels, you know, and a sense of um, spontaneity Mm -hmm. and a sense of novelty in how I engage the environment. Like there's this capacity to just go up to people or Mm. follow my impulses or um, 
I don't know, bring something into the space. Yeah. You know, like I definitely feel connected to the party of like the internet. I feel like I, you know, like sharing content and stuff for me is like, these are good conversations and I want to share them and people connect with that. But I feel like at a physical party, it's like the person who brings some kind of cake or something like that happened recently here in Portland. Oh, Um, Carla was here and I, you know, brought a cake out Mm -hmm. and we like went to Mount Tabor and there's like a dance, you know, and because we had a cake, um, we shared it with people and we made friends and Mm -hmm. I'm like still friends with those people. And it was like the cake, like there's just something about coming into a space where you're, you're not just falling into this, like, let's idly complain about something or like, Mm -hmm. like, no, it's like, let's celebrate. Let's create something that didn't exist before. Let's Mm. add to the situation and just to like create this bubbling kind of like excitement. So for me, it feels very open and then like kind of effervescent and bubbly and like, right. Yeah. I'm so mesmerized actually, because your hands keep doing this thing. So can we go into this? Yeah. Yeah. If you were just going to even like feel the energy of that, what's coming up and opening and um, just notice if you let your body move, because your body's already moving and dreaming. If you let it kind of express this energy that you feel. You mean how I would move? Yeah. Move, move that way now. I get so shy about that. (laughs) Whenever I'm in groups and they're like, move, I'm like, no. No. But you were talking about this openness and the spontaneity. So maybe you can just be open and spontaneous and like big purple roses on a cake. (laughs) Do I move? Yeah, totally. You can move sitting, you can move standing. Mm And I know it's a little edgy, but... It is edgy, and people Mm -hmm. can't see this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do people just, like, get up? Yeah, totally. Here, I'll get up with you. I'll do it with you. a little room. It's like... Looking out the window and connecting with the stars. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to imagine it too. It's like this beautiful exchange you were talking about. Like, yeah, magic and this cake. Yeah, I'll even close my eyes and just let you move. Just feeling what it's like to be at this party. Yeah. I'm gonna close my eyes and just let you move for a little bit. Just letting that energy move up and out. Is there any sort of like focal image about the party that really catches your attention? There's always like all of these different rooms. 
like oh. there's different wings it's like a really kind of big energy and like different yeah. like all these different unique experience housed and kind of like a labyrinth mm. yeah wow yeah just imagine like this big big place all these different rooms Mm. Maybe you can even just move less and slow it down, but just feel like if you're going to feel like the essence of this experience. Mm. There's a word that comes or a feeling. Make sure we get closer to the mic. Got what we were doing. <laughs> so to answer your question, mm-hmm. um, it just feels like joyfulness. Like joyfulness. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. Mm. That's really. I feel like kind of vulnerable, but it's interesting. Um, I didn't realize that my desire around that is that innocent. Yeah, I'll say more. Um, if it just comes down to that sense of joyfulness and freedom, and it feels like this kind of childlike just openness to engage the space around me yeah. in a pure way, mm-hmm. um, the seduction and the mesmerizing part has such a more of like a sexy like kind of vibe to it right but it's a deeper thing like going into it as we just did is just this like joyful spontaneity yeah yes yeah totally there was so much in there it was so rich but totally you can see it's like on the one hand the surface level is like oh I want to be more beautiful Right. And then you go deeper as you already did with your thought magic. And it's like, ooh, I want to be in this exchange with people. I mean, you have better words for it than I do, but you can feel these layers start to happen. And then under that, yeah, it's about being in this big party. It was so beautiful to me, this idea of these bright lights. I also have this feeling like everything we desire is also what we're learning to become. Hmm. Right, like your life path in a way you could say. Yeah, instead of seeking it externally. Yes. Pluto's like that too, with these seeking symbols of power. Yeah. We're seeking things external that we feel we have to connect with in order to feel connected to that thing inside of us. Yes. And that Plutonic experiences can often come to us on the outside through attraction. Yeah. Or through feeling, yeah, connected or seduced or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that it is pointing to a part of ourselves that yeah that you are that yeah you are this bright light you are this gorgeous cake that brings everyone together and facilitates (laughs) all of these amazing magical interactions you are that and then the pluto journey is about you know unwinding everything that stops that from flowing for freely and by really connecting with the richness the colorfulness the musicality of what that is Mm. But ultimately, that's you, right? That like essence of joyousness, these like, you know, this bejeweled many ways. That's what I was dreaming about when you were talking about this big 
space with these different wings that facilitate unique different interactions. It's like, that's the kind of party you are. Oh, (laughs) that's such a, I mean, I really feel it. And I feel like you have a really beautiful facility at mirroring things Mm -hmm. because you engaging me in this space, I'm feeling the like reality of it. Like I feel a lot of permission from you. Yeah. Yeah. It feels really powerful. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing with me. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous to be with you in your desire body. So in your book that you're working on, can Mm -hmm. you tell us more about that? Yeah, Um, I think it's partly just about putting desire in this larger cosmological context and then really about understanding um, how to work with it in our life. Like we might know our Pluto in a way is our magnetic north or like is the theme that's going to repeat through our life. But it's really about helping people use that thought magic, use their awareness and their internal alchemy to understand what it is that their being is really up to. Mm. That's what I was going to say. Cause I think the desire is happening all the time and putting conscious thought towards it, processing it inside yourself just helps you be more aware of what you're going through or going for. Right. Right. It's like, Oh shit. Like, you know, you want that party, you know, you want that joyousness. Then you can go towards all the things that feel that way can put even more emphasis on creating that in your life, which I'm sure you already are. I like this idea of like knowing what your being is up to, because I feel like that is Pluto. It's like the deep self. It's deeper even than this incarnation. And this Mm -hmm. incarnation is another fractal like vehicle uh, embodiment of that deeper soul desire. And like the alchemy of aligning your current incarnation with your soul is like Mm. the juice like that is why I love evolutionary astrology and just having that relationship with oneself as a soul and to be able to tap into the knowledge of like yeah what am I doing as a being and Mm. then just go for it right yeah and I do feel like if you don't let yourself ask those questions and go on that journey it will come out in ways that aren't as straightforward. Yeah. Like I've been holding on to this little tidbit. I don't even remember where it fit in our conversation, but um, there was this couple I worked with. They were a lesbian couple. And one of the women um, gained, I think something like 40 pounds or something like that in a very short amount of time. And um, her girlfriend was trying to be delicate about it, but it definitely it had changed like some feelings of attraction. And I know that's like complicated and everything, but what was interesting in terms of like, you know, fat phobia and like a lot of people trying to like change how they think of body image and all that kind of stuff. But for the purposes of our conversation, what was interesting to me is when we actually worked with it, what came out is that this woman who had ended up gaining a lot of weight, um, she said, she's like, I just want you to love me unconditionally. And she was so moved by that, that actually her high dream was to be loved unconditionally and putting on this weight was almost like a test for her partner to see if her girlfriend was going to love her unconditionally, even if she put on this weight. Hmm. So, you know, you could do like a chicken or the egg thing there, but it was like that desire to feel loved unconditionally motivated 
all of this behavior, you know? Right. Like that's part of what she was up to as a being with having like a weight gain in a very short amount of time. And it was just so touching for her when she realized that <laughs> and she ended up breaking up with her girlfriend. <laughs> She's like, you don't love me enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. I want to be loved more than you love me. And it was really like empowering for her. Um, and I think similar things happen like with addiction, you know, like a lot of times what it is that we get addicted to is a part of our desire nature that we need that we're um, not finding in our everyday life. And so we find it in addictive patterns. This has all been super interesting. Like I feel um, I have not heard of process work in general outside mm -hmm. of talking with you. Yeah. And now I'm so curious to learn a lot more and it feels oh. just like really rich. And I love that you've combined it with evolutionary astrology. And totally. yeah, and we're in the same space. We're in your room where we first were, having like the genesis of the conversation of like what we're doing now, like some, right. like more than a week ago. Um, and I just feel really lit up about the way that you embody the Pluto path and like mm. being a guide in that way, yeah. because it's astrology is such a powerful mapping tool. And then there's also like the ways that we play with that, the territory that the map is pointing to. And to really mm -hmm. kind of get into those questions about who we are at a deeper level and to like lean into our desires and follow the thread of our fantasies and our dreams mm -hmm. and just go and like get in there. Like that's such, that's so rich. Yeah. Get yeah. in there. <laughs> get in there. <laughs> what else are we doing? <laughs> well, thank you so much. You're such an inspiration for me. And thanks for um, just like... Being you. <laughs> oh, this has been great. Thank you for guiding me through that. I feel like I'm definitely going to take this meditation of creating the party and like being that energy because I mm -hmm. I never looked at it that way. I've been dreaming about party scenes my whole life. Mm -hmm. Like it's a place I go to on the dream plane really often. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. So meaningful. Um, okay. How can people find you and work with you? Oh, yeah. Hit me up. MariahKarina.com. I have a YouTube channel that I haven't posted on for a while. And the Cosmology of Desire audiobook coming soon. Yay. I will um, share an update on this podcast when the audiobook is available. Because I think it's going to be amazing. Yay. Thank you again so much. Thank you, Mariah. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast for a bit and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. It's a library, no downloads required. You can watch the videos right in there. Several hours of content about the intersection between astrology and manifestation and visualization and magic. And it has um, a talk I gave called Leo, or it's about Leo, but it's called Play and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. It's one of the favorite talks I've ever given. And it's about uh, how play states are actually at the origin of human religion based on this theory from Robert Bella. And following that logic, 
thinking about things like serious play or ritual or magic, like really getting into the primal value of play and how it can help you change your life. So I love that talk. Um, I love this resource library and it's accessible, um, as a thank you for reviewing the podcast. So again, you can just email your screenshot of your review on Apple podcasts or iTunes to Sabrina at monarchastrology.com. Have a beautiful rest of the eclipse season. If you are listening near this episode's release, and if you're listening out into the future, hello, so cool to reach out across space and time right now to talk to you. So glad that you're here. I love you. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you.